Please turn with me to Micah 7. Micah 7, we're going to read the first 10 verses of chapter 7. I believe that's on page 662 of your pew Bible. Listen here to God's word. Woe is me, for I'm like the fruit pickers, like the grape gatherers. There is not a cluster of grapes to eat or a first ripe fig which I crave. Godly person has perished from the land, and there is no upright person among men. All of them lie in wait for bloodshed. Each of them hunts the other with a net. Concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince asks also the judge for a bribe, and a great man speaks the desire of his soul, so they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright like a thorn hedge. The day when you post your watchman, your punishment will come. Then their confusion will occur. Do not trust in a neighbor. Do not have confidence in a friend. From her who lies in your bosom, guard your lips. For son treats father contemptuously. Daughter rises up against her mother. Daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against him, until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring me out into the light, and I will see his righteousness." Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look on her. At that time, she will be trampled down like mire of the streets. Amen. And our New Testament passage this morning comes from 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 5 through 10. 1 John 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Listen here to God's word. This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then our text of primary focus is the final chapter of Amos. So if you please turn with me to Amos chapter 9 on page 655. And here we see Amos draw all things to a close. Listen here to God's word. 
I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Smite the capitals so that the thresholds will shake, and break them on the heads of them all. Then I will slay the rest of them with the sword. They will not have a fugitive who will flee or a refugee who will escape. Though they dig into Sheol, from there my hand will take them. And though they ascend to heaven, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide on the summit of Carmel, I will search them out and take them from there. And though they conceal themselves from my sight on the floor of the sea, from there I will command the serpent, and it will bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword that it will slay them, and I will set my eyes against them for evil and not for good." The Lord of hosts, the one who touches the land so that it melts, and all those who dwell in it mourn, and all of it rises up like the Nile and subsides like the Nile of Egypt. The one who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and has founded his vaulted dome over the earth. He who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth, the Lord is his name." Are you not as the sons of Ethiopia to me, O sons of Israel, declares the Lord? Have I, not brought you, have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Kaftor, and the Aramaeans from Kir? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Nevertheless... I will not destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among all nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, but not a kernel will fall to the ground. All the sinners of my people will die by the sword. Those who say the calamity will not overtake us or confront us, in that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. When the, mountain, when the mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will be dissolved. Also, I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not be again rooted out from their land, which I, get, which I have given them, says the Lord your God. Amen. Let's bow our heads and meditate on God's word. Heavenly Father, we pray that your spirit would speak through the words of Amos today, much as they have for these past 2,700 years. We pray that um, unlike Israel, your people would turn to you. We pray that we would, um, in a good and right way, examine our hearts that we would reject what is false, that we would cling to what is true, and that we would turn to you in all circumstance. Lord, we pray the same for our land, that, that we would be a people marked by your loving kindness. 
We pray as we, we reflect on uh, the words of Amos chapter 9 that your spirit would be working in us and through us uh, even all the days of our lives. And we pray this in the name of our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Amen. So here we are at the end, right? If you just, uh, to kind of make sure you have a, a grasp of, of the book of Amos, we remember that in the first two chapters of Amos, the, the Lord speaking through Amos pronounces judgment on the land, not just on Judah and Israel, but on all the surrounding lands, right? Because they failed to heed God's word, because they failed to turn to the Lord Jesus. Uh, we, we see that judgment is pronounced upon them. We see in chapter 3, you know, Amos said, listen, the Lord has spoken, I can't do anything but speak, right? Even last week we, we thought about how Amos is not um, seeking the destruction of God's people, but where this uh, announcement has been made, he is compelled by the Spirit to, to, to relay the message to Israel. We see in four, uh, chapter 4 that Israel continues, or, or has continued, it has a history of waywardness, and as the Lord would send small judgments their way, they would not turn. They would continue to wander away. In 5 and 6, you see this growing picture of, of imminent destruction. And then in 7 and 8, we saw last week four visions of destruction. Two that w did not happen and two that were to happen. And here we have uh, one final vision of destruction and a hope for the future. The hope here for us today is the same as it was for Amos. That we as God's people would, would take heed to God's word and that where there is sin in our lives, we would repent, that we would turn back, that we would return to the Lord. We pray that we would not look to the promises given and say, ah, well, it doesn't really matter. Because if we do that, we are lost. So, as, as I've said, um, as we spend time in the chapter 9 of Amos this morning, we need to be a people who are self-aware. We need to be a people whose eyes are focused on the Lord. And as we have confidence that we belong to the Lord Jesus, we need to draw near Him in all manner of, of life. Now, as we begin to look at, at chapter 9, uh, we see just in verse 1, it's, it's Amos it receives a final vision. And, and or, or perhaps we should say he receives a picture of what is to happen. And, and this is what it says. Is he, said, he writes, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. And he said, smite the capitals so that the thresholds will shake and break them on the heads of them all. Then I will slay the rest of them with a sword. They will not have a fugitive who will flee or a refugee who will escape. Simply put, the Lord is saying, it's over. Like, we're going to strike the capitals. The, 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 the nation of Israel is to be no more. And sadly, even though, you know, we, we've said Amos is, is saying these things in the hope that the people would repent, we do see that this carries forth the trajectory that, that the, the book has been going on. I say this, we, we look earlier in the book and we see that the Lord says, for a city that goes forth a thousand strong 
will only have a hundred left. And the city that goes forth a hundred will only have ten left. But then later he says um, that um, for the, the house that has ten in it, they're all going to die. So, so what's going on here? The Lord is uh, enlarging his judgment of Israel and he's causing the extent of the judgment to swallow the nation. So what does that mean? So first we started with a thousand and we ended up with a hundred. Then, you know, we talk about ten or a hundred and that going down to ten. And then we talk about ten and that goes down to, to none. But even there, in that chapter, there, there was a notion that, you know, there would be still people around. It's not as though each and every person in Israel is killed. But we see that, that because Israel has steadfastly refused to listen to the word of God, judgment is poured out on the nation. Here in chapter 9 is the conclusion of that. Here in chapter 9 is a picture of, of the, the overarching reach of the Lord to bring this about. And we see this most clearly in verses 2 through 4. So listen here to, to what that says. It says, though they, that's, this would be people seeking to, to escape the judgment of God... Right, people to saying, well, you know, maybe the arm of the Lord um, doesn't, doesn't extend that far. Well, so listen to this. Though they dig into Sheol, sometimes that's referred to as the place of the dead. I think here more likely it just means somewhere down low. But though they dig into Sheol, from there my hand will take them. And though they ascend to heaven, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide on the summit of Carmel... I will search them out and take them from there. And though they conceal themselves from my sight on the floor of the sea, from there I will command the serpent and it will bite them. Right? This is a picture that no matter where the people go, no matter where they try to hide, the Lord will seek them out and they will be judged. As I listen to these words, I can't help but think about Psalm 139. Uh, psalm 139 is a psalm of David, and, and there the, the psalmist is reflecting on, on the Lord's thoughts to him. And, and listen to what it says. It says, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? Now here it switches the order, but it's, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Hear the similarity? It goes on, if I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. But here's the difference, and it's an awful difference. For David, Psalm 139 was a source of immense comfort, just as it should be for you and for me. As we know the Lord Jesus, there is no place that we can go that we can be separated from the love of God. There is no place that we can go to be hidden from the love of God. We don't often think of that in the opposite way. That if we are apart from the love and mercy of the Lord Jesus, there is no place that we can go to escape from his wrath. There is no place we can go to escape from, from his commanding presence. If you don't believe me, ask Jonah. It didn't work out for him, right? Uh, so, so what then does this mean with regard to the people of Israel? 
it means that the game is up. The, the Lord has pronounced that it's over. It even says that if you are going into exile, then think about this, right? So if, you, if you're part of, of Israel and the Assyrians are bearing down on you and, and you hear Amos's words, so you know that if you run north, south, east, west, up, down, any which way you're going to be caught, you just might as well say, well, I'm just going to sit here and let the Assyrians take me wherever they will and I'll roll the dice. But the, the Lord says no. Even those that have gone into exile are killed. There is no fleeing the judgment of God. It's absolute. And as we think about this judgment of God, we might wonder at its purposes. Um, we might wonder, what, you know, what exactly is going on here? I mean, we, we even see in verse 5 that the Lord God of hosts, the one who touches the land and it melts, and we kind of, that's unusual language. What does it mean that the, Lord, or that the, the, the earth would melt? Well, usually we see in the Old Testament that as the Lord is touching the earth and it's melting, right, it's in judgment in part uh, because of idol worship. Uh, another picture of that is in Micah. Now, we'll be looking later on in the book of Micah, but if we look at the opening verses, we see that it says, For behold, the Lord is coming forth from his place, Right? And to be clear, he's coming forth in judgment. Uh, he's coming forth from his place, and he will come down and tread on the high places of the earth where idols are, where people are worshiping foreign, unknown gods. And listen to the result. The mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will be split like wax before the fire, like water poured down a steep place. Now, why do I kind of walk through these waters this morning? Ooh, it's because of the opening chapters of Amos. We see that judgment is, is um, poured out on these nations, not just on Israel and Judah, but on all of the nations. Why? Because they have failed to heed God's word. So what about us? We would say, well, you know, we are here gathered together. We're calling upon the name of the Lord in faith that, that he, you know, our sins are forgiven. What does this have to do with us? And as, as I've said throughout our examination of Amos, we need to understand that our world, our land, wanders far from the Lord. It continues to reject truth. It continues to, to seek its own way. It continues to want to rule itself. What then are we to do? We hope and we pray that, that our land repents. We hope and we pray that our land seeks the Lord Jesus. But if it does not, I don't know how we could think that the judgment of Israel or the judgment of the surrounding nations would be any different than the judgment that is pronounced on our land. What then are we to do? How should we respond? And this is, uh, um, this is actually brilliant here where we, we see um, in Micah chapter 7. What, what is the picture there? Micah incidentally was a, was a, was a uh, prophet speaking to Israel just after Amos, right? 
So what does he say? He says, woe is me, for I'm like a fruit picker, like a grape gatherer, uh, where there is not a cluster of grapes to eat, or a first ripe fig, which I crave. It's like a, great, it's like a harvester who has arrived after the harvest, right? You show up, and there's nothing. And the way he describes that in the society is he says, concerning evil, both hands do it well. The prince asks also the judge for a bribe, and the great man speaks the desire of his soul, so they weave it together. And there's this picture of if you're a rich person and you have a corrupt official, together you're going to work out what the truth is. Truth is not the objective reality, it's, it's whatever the highest bidder or the one who has the greatest amount of power says that it is. This, incidentally, was what Amos was speaking of in chapter 6 when he talked about, you know, justice is, is just disbanded at the gate and the poor are turned away. Micah, you know, as a prophet working just after Amos, is describing the same things. And he laments. And he says even within the household of, 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 of the people of God, there's division and hatred. And so that a man's enemies are his own household. He's seeing, he's witnessing in Israel just the disintegration of the nation. Something we've talked about, uh, not just through the book of Amos, but indeed uh, through many of our weeks, these last weeks, months, and years of our land. But note, what does Micah say? And I think it's the same sort of thing that Amos would say. He says, but as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the Lord is a light for me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I sinned against him until he pleads my case and until he executes justice for me. He will bring me out to the light and I will see his righteousness. Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look on her. At that time she will be trampled down like mire of the streets. It's Micah's hope. That should be our hope as well. As we are God's people, as, as we look to the Lord Jesus, incidentally, who is the one who executes our case, who executes judgment on our behalf, right? Because we understand that our sin has fallen on the Lord Jesus. As we believe in Jesus, we seek to follow the Lord. And we eagerly anticipate his salvation. All the while, though, we recognize that as a nation, we continue to wander and we continue to be far from the Lord. What do we do? Where do we go? As I've said, we need to seek to examine ourselves. We need to, to understand our place uh, in, in regard to the Lord. We need to, to understand, are we, you know, we, we profess to be Christians, we profess to be following the Lord, but, but are we really? Do we bring um, our sins to the Lord that, that they might be forgiven? Or do we seek to follow our world and go the way that we want to go? And, and, and here's why we ought not. In Amos 9, he, he describes this, this coming, right, but what does he say? He says, those that 
are part of his people, but are far from him, will be judged, each one of them. So, so we cannot think that, oh, well, I've got Jesus, I'm all right. And in fact, even the deliverance that he talks about comes at a price. And, and now, let me explain here. We see in Amos 9 um, uh, that he says that... Um, he, he says uh, in verse 8 that I... Um, he says, nevertheless, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. And then he, he goes on to say in verse 9, and I will shake the house of Israel among all nations as grain is shaken in a sieve, but not a kernel will fall to the ground. Now, just to be clear, in case you don't know what a sieve is, though I doubt, or I, I'm guessing most of you do, right? A sieve is used for separation. So basically, you have some stuff you want and some stuff you don't want, and they're all together. And how do you get one on one side and one on the other? You use a sieve, right? Uh, like a mesh sieve, a wire mesh sieve, and you, you pass material through. So you could think of this as like people panning for gold, and they bring up silt and, and all sorts of other stuff, and they can shake it loose and see if you get things to settle down. You, you can think of this as, as like um, uh, wheat or, or some other crop uh, from all of the, 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 the refuse, the, the material you don't want. It's all together and you shake it through the sieve or you force it through the sieve. Being of a pharmaceutical bent, I, I remember as an undergraduate, um, I worked in the, the pharmaceutical labs at Purdue. And one of the worst experiments... I didn't have to do too much of it, but I was in the room when it was done. One of the worst experiments is running material through sieves. One of the things is if, you, if, you need to, if, you're, if you're doing experiments on powders, you need to know what sort of powders you have. And so you get a big stack of sieves and they're all of different sizes and you put a bunch of powder in the top and then you take a weight and you bang on the top for an hour and it's loud and you would sit on the other side of the, the lab and you could just just feel it. Just in, it. You couldn't not move with it. And it was so annoying and awful. Well, think about what the particles thought. I mean, the particles don't think, but we understand that the particles were being forced through smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller sieves until they couldn't go through anymore. It's not pleasant, I wouldn't think. Not having gone through a sieve, I don't exactly know, but I can imagine, right? We understand that that is the manner in which Israel is to be saved through a sieve. It's not going to be comfortable. And what we're going to see is that the nation is clearly not going to be saved in, in, a, in a geopolitical sense. Rather, Assyria is going to come and destroy it. But the people, the individuals, are, are, are saved, but as through a sieve. And it harkens back to what Amos said in chapter 3. Israel will be like a shepherd who goes after the lion who's taken one of the sheep and brings back a couple of legs and a part of an ear. That's what's left. So for us, in our day, what do we do? Where do we go? Individually, First uh, John tells us the answer, right? That we are to repent. We are to call out to the Lord and, and seek to confess our sins to the Lord knowing that, that they, are, they are forgiven. Not one of them, not two of them. Indeed, all of them are forgiven. 
and we rest in him because of that. But we also recognize, as with the pronouncement of ju judgment upon the nation surrounding Israel, that our nation needs to repent. Our nation needs to turn to the Lord Jesus. So how do we do it? Um, where are you in life? You know, w w how we do it is different depending on where the Lord has placed us. Some of us are going to rub shoulders with, with other parents as, because our kids are in school and, and you know, making decisions on what curriculum to follow or, or where to go to school or, or what to study. Those are tremendous opportunities for you parents to communicate the need to know Jesus. It's an opportunity for you to communicate the, the, the reason you are shepherding your children in a particular way, that you're teaching them in a particular way, is because you know that first and foremost, they need the Lord Jesus. It's a start. Is it the whole nation? No, it's the people in your, your friend group. Uh, depending on w where you are, you know, perhaps you live on a cul-de-sac, I don't know. Uh, uh, but you know, the thing about a cul-de-sac is there's not much through traffic, so you can kind of stand in the street and no one will run you over. And two, um, you, you know your neighbors, unless they're Presbyterian, and then of course we all kind of you know, just stay where we are. But, but you know your neighbors, so talk to them. Know them. Help them understand where you go on Sunday morning. Do they know? You know, when I was a young man, um, most of my friends went to the same church, but, but uh, you know, for the friends that didn't, when I worked in the labs at Purdue, sometimes it'd be like, oh, so how was your weekend? I'd say, great. You know, on Friday I did this and that, and on Saturday I did this and that, and on Sunday, mm -hmm. what was that? And I'd say, oh, you know, I just went to church and stuff. Boy, I look back and I say, I missed an opportunity. I could have just made a short, simple statement. The sermon was junk. Or the sermon was really neat because it helped me understand this better. It's an opportunity to communicate the love of the Lord Jesus and our reliance upon the Lord Jesus and our need as a nation to turn to the Lord. What else can we do? I mean, I mean you can pick your avenue of life. We, we all have them. Uh, people that we interact with, maybe it's once, maybe it's every week, that we can communicate the gospel in some or, or in a complete fashion. But not just that. We need to dedicate ourselves to prayer. That God would be at work in the land. That, that there would be revival or renewal where, where uh, flames have grown cold that God's people would speak with a clear, convicted voice. That is to say, a voice full of conviction. That the people in our land would know, that there would be no reason that they could possibly say, well, I didn't know that was the case, or I didn't know that was going to happen. But that we communicate the, the same message that Amos has, has, has communicated down through the ages to our day now. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray that they would work to restrain evil, which is their God-given commission. We need to, to work for them and for their good as best as we can when it does not violate our, our, our biblical principles. But above all, daily, we as individuals need to remember 
that we are redeemed by the Lord Jesus. So that whether the nation succeeds in its repentance, succeeds in being brought low, or whether it is judged as the rest of the nations, we as God's people will be secure. Though through adversity, we will be secure because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen.